How are you? Buenos dias. How was Thanksgiving? You had enough to eat? Yeah? You, had, you still got some leftovers in that refrigerator? I'm, I'm sure you do. Uh, I want to say what's up. You know, last time I felt so bad because I got into it. You know, I, I want to get into the Word of God. And I forgot to welcome our peeps in the Shaw Campus. My people's in Shaw. Give me some love. Yes. Shaw Campus. Also, uh, the brothers in Stepping Into the Light. We're glad you're here. And Eckerd Park Nursing Home. And everyone who's just watching the stream of this, you made a good decision to be here today. Amen? Amen. So, you know, as I was getting ready to, to prepare the, this sermon, Pastor Brent and I were talking, and I, I thought about an experience I have quite regularly. Uh, about a month ago, I was walking through a property. I do some real estate investing, so you do these walkthroughs in properties, and it's one of the most interesting parts of the process because you get to see the before state. You know what I mean? When you see those houses on HGTV, you, you, it's the before state is, you know, those houses are tore up from the floor up, as they say, right? So you get an appreciation for the work, but also the other part that's interesting is what you find in these houses. For whatever reason, people leave things behind, all kinds of things, cars, boats, <laughs> a million dollars. No, <laughs> they would have bought the house. Right? No, but you do find a lot of things. And just the other day, I found one of these. Can we, can we put these up on the screen? D does anybody know what the, can anybody tell me? Oh, it's an A-track. An a and so, so <laughs> if you were born after 1982, okay, it's all good because these were faced out by then. All right? <laughs> but in the 60s and 70s, in the 60s and 70s, we're my 60s and 70s folk. Come on now. <laughs> yeah, I'm a 70s baby, so I claim, I claim the 70s. In the 60s and 70s, this was a viable and popular way to listen to your music. And this is just one album right here, right? So, matter of fact, if you had an 8-track player in the ride, you were the man, right? <laughs> But now this A-Track, among other things, think about other technology that's coming. Anybody remember the cell phones where you had to carry the bag? Yeah. You know, people were in the club, like with the bag. You know. <laughs> so things like that, clothing, right? There's items of clothing, even a house. You know, we always talk about a house as the appreciating asset. Even a house, if not maintained will lose value over time. It will lose value over time. So, what if I could show you something, a gift that God has given us that gets better with time? Would you be interested? Amen. I'm, I'm glad you said that. I'm, I'm glad somebody wanted to come to church and hear the Word of God. So let's go to Luke chapter 18. Luke chapter 18. Let's go. Let's open up that Bible. Open up the glow if you have. Remember, you, can, you have it in your phone. Open up that Bible. Let's go to Luke chapter 18. Luke chapter 18. And we're going to start in verse 1. This is Jesus speaking here. So it's red letter stuff. So it says, Then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them how they should always pray and not give up. 
He said, in a certain town there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared what people thought. And there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with the plea, grant me justice against my adversary. For some time he refused. But he finally said to himself, even though I don't fear God or care what people think, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually come and attack me. And the Lord said, listen to what the unjust judge says. And will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? There is the thing. Prayer. Persistent prayer. A gift that gets better with time. So I'm titling this message, Persist and Prevail, Discovering the Blessings of Persistent Prayer. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you that your word makes us wise unto salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. We thank you that you have not left us out in the dark, but you have plainly written in your word how we can connect with you, how we can receive from you, and how we can walk in your light and establish your kingdom here on this earth. We thank you today that as your word goes through, that your Holy Spirit would work in and through us, Lord, to receive, to understand, and then act out the things that you've given us to do. It's in the mighty name of Jesus we pray, amen and amen. Well, you know, as a student of communication, I'm, I'm fascinated by the way that, that Jesus communicated in his earthly ministry. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a master class in communication. Uh, Jesus was a master in asking questions. Matter of fact, Pastor Brent just did a series, right, on the questions that, that Jesus asked. He was a very intentional, and questions are powerful. Why? When you ask someone a question, they reveal what they're thinking. They reveal what's in someone's th- uh, mind and what's in their heart. Now, the other uh, point of questions is it, it helps you to just to pause and, and think about something that you never thought about before. Now, Jesus combined questions with parables. That was the other device that he used. And parables are are very effective, not just because they're memorable and they evoke emotion, right? We we get a mental picture. When, When we hear these stories, they're memorable. Jesus often answered a question with a parable, all right? So they're they're memorable for that reason, but they're also memorable or important because they help us to know how God is. That's the whole point of the parable. In addition, they also expose our condition. We see ourselves in the parable. But it doesn't just stop there. It gives us a divine remedy for that condition. So Jesus was very intentional about this. And when we read parables, we also have to understand how to read them. In parables specifically, we need to be aware of comparisons and contrasts. Anybody remember English class? We had to write that essay on comparisons and contrasts. Well, this is what we have to use here. And when we read about this unrighteous judge and the widow, Jesus is pointing out a comparison or a contrast, if you will. 
about God and his elect, or God, and as he says here, his chosen. His chosen. The God that we pray to is nothing like the unjust judge. That's the comparison that Jesus is trying to make. It's the complete opposite. But you know, for many uh, uh, people, and even over time, prayer has been reduced to simply manipulation. Got quiet. Okay, let, let me tell you a little bit more. Yeah, manipulation. What do I mean by that? Well, in essence, it's a process by the by which uh, the petitioner attempts to bend the will of his or her deity to do their bidding. The word fanatic. Anybody here a Cardinal fan? Cardinal? Any Cardinal fans? Oh, okay, yeah. Right, okay, I see some hands. You got. You're a fan of some team, I'm assuming, right? Do you know that we get the word fanatic? From ancient prayer pagan practices, where, again, if, if we go back to what I just mentioned here, where people would, they would believe to be insane. If you saw their behavior, people thought they were insane because of their behavior, all in an attempt to make themselves worthy of divine favor. And you can read about this in history. We can read it in the Bible. Let's go to 1 Kings. Let's go OT for a minute. Let's go OT. We can go OT here, Old Testament. For those, we can go OT. We get the NT and the OT. We're going to get it all in. We're going to go OT, Old Testament, 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 28. Here's an example. And let me set the scene. My man Elijah is a prophet. And he's just challenged. He's in a battle with the prophets of this false god named Baal. And Elijah's just basically saying, look, whoever's uh, God answers with fire, that's who wins. Simple. And let's see what the prophets of Baal do, the pagan prayer practices. It says here, the prophets of Baal cried out loud and cut themselves with knives and lances until the blood gushed out on them. That's pretty wild, ain't it? You Cardinal fans, you believe uh, red? You, you. I, I believe red. No, you don't. <laughs> You're not that serious, right? That's a fanatic, right? That's trying to, to, to bend the will of God. And here, let me tell you, the God of the Bible does not respond to things like that. That is not our God. So the first thing, the first point, the first writer downer, Right, the first point that I want you to understand here is you have to know who you're praying to. Know your God. Know your God. Know who you're praying to. The renowned theologian, A.W. Tozer, has written just tremendous stuff. A.W. Tozer. And in his work, The Knowledge of the Holy, he writes, What comes into our minds when we think about God... What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. What comes into your mind when you think about God? How do you see God? How you answer that question will affect your prayer life. Do you think of God as one who answers for uh, your good consistently? Of his own glory? Do you see him like that? 
Do you think he needs to be nagged or manipulated? That makes a difference. God doesn't need to be nagged. God doesn't need to be manipulated. You don't need to bend his arm. He doesn't need to be strong-armed. Why? Because he already loves you. God cares about you. God wants you to believe. God wants to bless you. That's why we say, no, you're God. That's the God that we serve. How do I know that? Sometimes you're wondering, well, how do you know that, Alejandro? Well, guess what? We have to go to the Word of God. I was just sharing with my kids last night. You know, we're reading Jesus, when questioned or challenged, would always go back to the Word and say, it is written. Have you not read? you got to go back to the Word. So if we go to Psalm, Psalm 118, Psalm 118, Verse 1, it says, oh, somebody say, oh, 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 oh. you know, if, if it's oh, if it starts with oh, you know it's going to be good. Oh, even songs like that that you like start out like that. Oh, oh, I mean, I mean, it, it's going to be good. It says, oh, give thanks to the Lord. Why are you going to give thanks? Because he is good. That's where we get that song that we, that we sing. He's a good, good father, and his mercy endures forever. That's the God that we serve. He also knows what you need. If he's good, he's merciful, he also knows what you need. He knows what you need. How do I know that? <laughs> it is written, right? Psalm 139. We'll stay in the Psalm 139. Verse 2 and 3, it says, you know, wow, this is the psalmist talking to God, you know, it says, you know when I sit down, God knows that you're sitting down here right now, this very moment, this very hour, you know when I sit down and when I rise up, you discern my thoughts from afar. Do you know that God knows what you're thinking? God knows your heart. He knows your thoughts from afar. It says, you search my path. And my lying down, and you are well acquainted with all my ways. How many know if somebody's acquainted with you? <laughs> I ain't even going to go there, right? But that's when you know someone. That's when you know someone. He knows you better than you know yourself. He wants the best for, uh, for you. And he's able. How many know our God is able? To answer our prayers. Look at uh, the parable we were looking at, Luke 18. And then if we go back to verse 7 and 8, Luke 18, 7 and 8. It says, and will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones? There's the answer. Who cry out to him day and night, will he keep putting them off? There's another question. Is God going to keep putting them off? I tell you. He will see that they get justice and quickly. So number one, know who you're praying to. Number two is know who you are in Christ. Know who you are in relation to your God. In this parable, it's clear here that we are not helpless widows. In ancient times, in the first century, a widow was one of the most destitute, vulnerable positions to be in. You know why? You had no advocate, no protector, no provider. You were at the mercy of charity and kindness that people gave you. 
Now, the nation of Israel called for mercy to be given to widows and orphans. But how many know just because something is legislated doesn't mean that it's going to happen? Come on. I hear you, Brother Will. (laughs) And we have to understand that that's not us. We're not helpless widows. If you're a believer in Christ, you are God's chosen. You are a child of grace. That is who you are. How do I know that? It is written. Jesus would always say, when he spoke to the devil himself, what did he say? It is written. And that's how he overcame, right? It is written. So what does the word say? 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. Oh, I get excited about this one. I might start, I might do a, I might do a, a lap. See, I come, I, see I, I come from the charismatic, you know, I'll I take that lap, you know. <laughs> it's so good, right? It says, but you, he's talking to us now, but you are a chosen generation. You thought Pepsi was like the choice of a new generation. Let's get them out the way. <laughs> it says, you are a chosen generation. A royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people. Somebody say special. Special. Say, I'm special. special. His own special people that you may proclaim the praises of who? Of him who called you out of what? Darkness into his marvelous light. We've been called out of darkness. How many of you know that you were in darkness? You were out there bad, as they say, but God has brought you to the marvelous light. I'm going to take a lap. (laughs) We are part of his eternal plan. I mean, can you grasp that? The God of the universe said, I've chosen you to be part of my plan. Oh, church, this is good. I wish three people had wanted to come to church today. And since we're chosen citizens of the kingdom, we can pray with confidence. A a citizenship, a citizen of a kingdom has certain rights and privileges that they can call upon. So that means that we can pray with confidence. Oh, man, this is so good. If a helpless widow in the first century, she had nothing going for her. If she could get her way. Because of her persistence with an unrighteous judge. Think about these conditions. A widow with an unrighteous judge, if she could get her way because of persistence, how much more can God's children receive what they need from a gracious father? Amen? Oh, my goodness. Oh. How much more? That's why Jesus taught us to pray by saying, Our Father. My son been steady asking me about Christmas gifts. Hey, Dad. Hey, Dad. <laughs> you going to give me these, Dad? <laughs> you know these Jordans come out. He's saying, my father. <laughs> right? And when we say our father, see, the key here is that the very act of recognizing a father makes you a son or a daughter and a brother and a sister. Do, do you see where I'm coming from here? The very after saying, our father, you make yourself a son who can receive. Oh, man, this is, this is good. This is good. So here we are now. If we know the attributes of God, if we know who he is, we understand his nature. 
And then we know who we are in relation to him as his children. Then we have the foundation for persisting and prevailing in prayer. To the very least, compound. Yes, I mean, we, we have to go there, right? So my third point is, now that we have the foundation, you have to understand that prayer is a process. Write that down. Prayer is a process. What do I mean by that? Well, it's not a transaction, per se. What we were talking about earlier, let me cut myself, let me do something, let me butter up, you know, so I can get something from God. That's a transaction. You know, I used to believe that prayer had two parts. My requests and God's answer. Two parts, right? So in essence, I would have my to-do list. You know, like that honey-do list, you know, some of y'all got. Right? <laughs> you know what I'm talking about, right? That to-do list. And if God didn't answer what was on my list, either he didn't answer or he said no. Has this been your experience? Right? Either, oh, I guess, well, you know, I, you know, sometimes, you know sometimes God don't answer, you know. Or, or, or he said no. And we can even get scriptures to be like, yeah. So this became, in essence, how I measure success in prayer. That's how I measure success. But I've got good news for you today. A praying life is more than just saying prayers. It's more than just, here's my request, here's the answer. No, it's more than that. And I want to be clear. Pastor Brent just two weeks ago taught us that we should ask God for things. That's the God that we serve, isn't it? Be anxious for nothing, but in everything with prayer and supplication, let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God, right, which passes all understanding, will guard your heart and mind. You definitely need to do that. But if that's where it stops, you're missing out on a whole lot more. You're leaving a lot on the table. What do I mean by that? Well, in almost every area of life, staying power is indispensable for success. You know where I'm coming from? Almost any area of life. We can look at a wide array of disciplines, art, music, business, relationships. The most gifted uh, individual in the world or the most gifted athlete will accomplish very little if they give up under pressure. Right? When we look at the best basketball player, a LeBron James, I'm sorry, Michael Jordan. Ooh, somebody lay hands on me. Okay. <laughs> I love messing with y'all. <laughs> but when you look at someone, a Muhammad Ali, when someone's performing like that, it, it, it's not a product of, of luck or impulse, right? That performance is the product of the furnace of sacrifice, of pain, and of consistent practice. Likewise, God gives us goals and purposes to aspire to. Did you know that? Do you know that God can give you goals? He can give you aspirations? The problem is we live in a world that is hostile to those goals, hostile to the things of God. And Jesus was aware of this, and one of his greatest concerns was to prepare his followers to live in a hostile world. What did Jesus say? In this world, you will have what? Trouble. Trouble. Remember when I taught the last time, I said, when you see the word but, okay, in this world, you will have trouble, but, he says, Take courage, I have overcome the world. That's our God. 
I have overcome the world. So he wants us to be resilient. He wants us to be spiritually firm. But this resilience is not, the resilience is not the product of just sheer determination, white knuckling it. Let me just pull myself by my own bootstraps. It's not the product of that. It's the product of spirit-led prayer. Church, if you have a desire to pray, it's because God put that desire there. God is the initiator of prayer, not us. Man will never choose to see God on his own. But God is a pursuer. He is wooing us constantly, coming after us. That's the God that we serve, a God that never gives up on us. Man, that's so good. That is so good. So in this parable, we're directed to to the perseverance that is produced by persistent prayer. That's what we see in this parable. That's the gift. Notice the passage starts out by Jesus emphasizing that men ought always to pray and not give up. Look, if Jesus is saying you shouldn't give up, it means that there's going to be resistance. Right? He wouldn't say don't give up if there was no resistance. That means that there's going to be resistance. But for many, it's easier just to go with the flow. You know what I'm talking about? Don't rock the boat. Just go with the flow. It's easier to float than to fight. You know, my kids, I, I, my kids have given me so many experiences that I've had with them. And, you know, when they were young, still now, you know, we love the water parks in the summer. Any, any other water park folks out here? Lo- love it. The wave pool, the slides, all that mess. But, you know, after a whole day, sometimes two of that, you know, dad needs a little, a little, a little wind-me-down time. You know, let me just get some dad time. And then I head for the lazy river. Yes. Anybody know any, any lazy river fan out there? Okay, lazy, uh, yeah. And what is the lazy river? You, you lazy, right? You just get in that inner tube, put your sunglasses on, and let it just take you, right? You, I mean, you can just follow. You bumping into people. It doesn't matter. I just keep, I just keep floating on, right, until your kids, like, pop up. Hey, Dad, or, you know, somebody splashes you. But you're just floating along without a worry or care in the world. And that is the temptation we face each and every day, to simply go with the flow. To go with the flow of these world's ideologies, worldviews, ideas, and not be concerned with kingdom things, eternal things, things that Jesus called the true riches. See, you got to understand that this parable is couched, the context is Jesus is talking about his second coming. At the end of it, he says, when the Son of Man returns, will he not find faith? So he's saying, are you praying for my second coming? Are you going to be believing when I come back? This is serious business. This is about the Father's business. Since Jesus was 12 years old, he said, didn't you know I have to be about my Father's business? So what I want us to understand, church, is that during the process of prayer, it's during that process that God does some of his greatest work. If that wasn't the case, it would be an ATM machine or a vending machine. Put in a prayer, get, 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 the, get the product out. Put in the card, get the money out. That's not the way he set it up. The great, uh, uh, late great prayer teacher, Jennifer Kennedy Dean, she put it this way. She said, God works through the process of prayer to expand our vision, to deepen our hunger, to stretch our faith, and to lift our desires higher. It says we start the process desiring something from him, and we end it 
desiring only him. You see, prayer has a way of not just changing our circumstances. It changes us. It changes us. The more time you spend with him, the more he reveals himself to you. Pastor Brent talked about this too. He said prayer is the exchanging of wishes. Hey, I get it you're telling God your wishes, but are you allowing him to tell you his wishes? Jesus said, pray, your kingdom come. Not my kingdom, your kingdom. So I said, let your kingdom come to me, Lord. Your kingdom come, your will be done. The more he's revealing. There's a scripture that I think people love, often misquoted. Let's go to Psalm 37, verse 4. I mean, this one, this one gets people doing laps, but sometimes they don't understand it. <laughs> They're like, yeah, delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Yeah, I can have whatever it is. You know, I'm going to be a millionaire overnight, or whatever it is. But let's really think about what this says. It says, when you delight yourself in the Lord, he becomes the desire giver. He becomes the desire of your heart. You see that word delight comes from a Hebrew root word that means soft, moldable, and pliable. Soft, moldable, and pliable. This is some putty. Okay? When we say soft, moldable, or pliable, this is us. So if you delight yourself in the Lord, he can begin to mold you become pliable, right? I said sometimes he needs to stretch you. Then he needs to mold you to something else. The point is that when you delight in him, he can shape a heart like his in you. He can, he can communicate the proper desires in you because you become moldable and you become pliable. You become as putty in his hands. See, many times we're not ready to receive what we ask for. I know that's hard sometimes to hear. We may not be ready. Every parent in here knows. If you have children, you know the difference between a child's request and their capacity to handle that request. Amen? Yeah. Well, I can handle this credit card, no problem. Well, I can have a party with my friends over the weekend, no problem, by ourselves. So therefore, a delay... It's a chance for God to further mold us and to filter out the lower desires so that he can give you the good ones. We're asking for silver, but God wants to give gold. So my last point is God's delays are not a form of denial, but a means of preparation. God's delays are not a form of denial, but a means of preparation. What God does while you wait for him to answer your prayers is just as important as what you're praying for. The work that he's doing in you. The unjust judge delayed out of selfish motives. He was an unjust judge, didn't care about God, didn't care about people. God doesn't put us on hold. How many of you know God doesn't ghost people? Y'all going out, having dinner, y'all going to the movies, y'all getting to know each other. Next thing you know, you won't hear from nobody. Uh-huh. Yeah, y'all was holding hands last week. I mean, I mean, that's just how it is nowadays. God doesn't do that. 
God is not in the ghosting business because he really does love you. He's not after something. He loves you. You're part of his plan. But this takes time. Persistence then is a part of the fellowship process with God. It's fellowship with him. It's not an Amazon same-day delivery. I know I love Amazon, but it's not that. It's not that. It's not, you know, I remember a time when you had to wait to watch the next episode. Now you can just watch it all in one day. You get what you want when you need it. And look, I know from personal experience that delays can be painful. Maybe you're sitting here right now and you're wondering whether or not God ghosted you. Maybe you're going through something right now. And I know it can be painful. But some of the most precious experiences in life are those times when life's hurts keep us out. Just calling to God in prayer. And taking comfort in Him and Him only. That is persistence. You have to refuse to give up. In 1844, George Mueller... Can we have a picture of, of, of George? In 1844, George Mueller, an evangelist and director of the Ashley Down Orphanage in Bristol, England, began praying for five individuals, five friends of his, to come to faith in Christ. He vowed that he would pray every single day, no matter what. Eighteen months passed before the first of his friends came to faith. He thanked God and kept praying for the others. Five more years passed, and the second person came to faith, and he continued to pray for them. Six more, uh, six more years passed before the third person believed. George kept praying. 36 years later, the two remaining friends were still not believers. He wrote in his journal, but I hope in God, I pray on and wait for the answer. In 1897, 52 years after he began to pray without interruption, those two men were finally converted. But it so happened that it was after George Mueller had died. You see, George understood what Jesus meant that men ought always to pray and not give up. So beloved, the ultimate question is not whether or not believers will fail but whether or not they will fail to pray. Let's bow our heads. Father, we thank you for your mercy. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for the gift of prayer that allows us to draw closer to you, to be transformed more and more into the image of your Son. We thank you, Lord, that we can trust and rely on the Holy Spirit to guide us and direct us in prayer and that our hope is in you, knowing that whatever delay may be happening, we know that you are working something even better through that process. We put our trust in you. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen and amen.